Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. I'm Kate Norris. I'm Thomas Craft. And we're here to help you plan, design, and deliver your best presentation. What's up, guys? It is episode 52 of the Presentation Boss Podcast, and we have finally joined the rest of the world uh, where we've had to start recording completely online. This is basically the first time that Kate and I have not been sitting in the same room. Right up until last week's episode, we had recorded uh, before all the social isolation was recommended, uh, but now now we don't have that luxury, so we're recording across Zoom. And of course, today's guest we recorded over Zoom with as well, because he's in the United States, and that was social isolation was never going to be an excuse there. So Jay Bear is a speaker in America, and we've been listening to his new podcast, absolutely binging it. We only just found out about it a couple of weeks ago, really. And it is just fantastic. We've yeah. loved it. And so we reached out to Jay to ask him if he'd like to be on our podcast. Yeah, Jay is just an amazingly colourful character is how I would describe Jay. Mm, uh, great fun. Super energetic. Yeah, great fun recording this episode. We talked about storytelling. We talked about uh, marketing, speaking, and even suits. It was quite mm. a, quite the conversation. And I will also say that uh, he's a super giving guy. There's um, there's a huge amount of links to resources, more so than normal, down in the show notes for this episode. Yeah, and we'll definitely link to his podcast as well. Yeah, it's because there, it's yeah. absolutely brilliant. And I think if you're interested in speaking, which chances are you are because you're listening to this podcast, it's really worth listening to as well. All right. Why don't we crack on with our conversation with Jay Bear? All right. Jay Bear has spent 25 years in digital marketing and customer experience, consulting for more than 700 companies. His new book, Talk Triggers, is the complete guide to creating customers using strategic operational differentiators that compel word of mouth. In the best companies, the customers do the marketing. Talk Triggers is the instruction manual for making businesses grow with customer conversation. He's also an avid tequila collector and a certified barbecue judge. So Jay Bear, welcome and thank you for joining us on the Presentation Boss podcast. I am fired up to be with all of you bosses. I'm delighted <laughs> to be a part of the show. Uh, so many of uh, of my friends and just an incredible lineup of uh, of guests here on the podcast and I'm, I'm honored to be part of it. Thank you. Um, and you've actually just given me an idea because I know on your podcast, you call your fans clappers and yes. we should call our fans bosses. Bosses. That's Seems really like cool. a natural. You know where you know where I where I picked that up from? Uh, do you know Pat Flynn? He's a terrific yes. uh, author, speaker, presenter, entrepreneur. Of course. Uh, Pat's new book, um, which is all about fans, in the book, and I had him on my other podcast, Social Pros, um, a couple of months ago. And and one of the keys to his sort of system of creating fans is to give your fans a name, the same way that Lady Gaga does with the little monsters, and yeah. and Taylor Swift does with the Swifties. And so when I started my podcast standing ovation I took Pat's advice and came up with the name of the clappers and uh, and it's been amazing how, how well it's worked and so I give all the credit to Pat for that idea wow that's really cool all right so we've got all our value thanks for joining us Jay that's all we need <laughs> all right so Great. Jay um, what is between the lines of your bio can you tell us a little bit about who you actually are in your own non-curated professional yeah bio? you know I'm a, I'm a seventh generation entrepreneur so uh, when I was uh, when I was younger, it wasn't really a question about whether you would be an entrepreneur. It was sort of in in what in what element and how. My son is now an eighth generation uh, entrepreneur, and I started off in politics. Funny enough, I was a 
independently employed political campaign consultant and, and ran political campaigns and got people elected to things here in the United States and um, discovered pretty early on that that wasn't um, a job I wanted to do for the rest of my life, uh, thankfully, uh, and, and got into sort of traditional uh, marketing. But probably the reason that, that I, I give presentations now is that uh, I have developed some measure of expertise in digital marketing and online communications. And that's partially because I got into it so early. I, I sort of accidentally got involved in the internet and online marketing way back in 1993. Uh, so long ago, Kate, that domain names were free. You could get whatever domain name you wanted and you wouldn't oh, wow. even have to pay anything for it because who would want to have a, a, you know, a website? What would you do with a website? That's wow. how long ago it was. And wow. true story, um, Thomas, you'll appreciate this. Uh, my, my, <laughs> my partners and I, in my very first internet company, circa 1993, this is true. It's not in my official bio. Um, uh, we sold the domain name Budweiser.com to An Anheuser-Busch Brewing, the, the manufacturers at the time of, of the famous Budweiser beer here in the States. We sold that domain name uh, for 50 cases of beer. And we <laughs> genuinely oh, thought generally thought that we got a super good deal um, oh, because wow. <laughs> I was the senior partner. I was 23. Uh, I was the senior partner. And when you're 23 and a giant American corporation gives you 50 cases of beer and glass bottles, not, not cans because we're classy. Uh, and yeah, we were, we were, uh, we were pretty excited. So yeah, I've been doing, <laughs> well. been doing this a long time. Yeah. Right. Um, so then what got you interested in speaking then after entrepreneurship? Yeah, yeah. So here's what happened. Um, because I was so early in the internet game, right? I would get asked, even I was just a kid, right? And, and I would get asked to go do a presentation at the local Rotary Club or the Chamber of Commerce or some business group yep. about, well, what is this internet thing I've heard so much about? And they'd trot me out as the, you know, tech guy in the, in the young entrepreneur. And I would kind of explain, well, it's a network of wires and computers are connected across great distances. And, you know, kind of do the internet 101 <laughs> back when people didn't know what the internet was. Uh, and, and I was like, yeah, that's kind of fun. But, you know, truthfully, even when I was much younger, like in secondary school and such, I was always the one that people would say, we need a host. We need an MC for the, for the talent show, for the uh, school pep rally. Jay will do it. He's not scared of a microphone. And so I, I never, ever, ever had any real fear of public speaking. Uh, and I would give a presentation here or there in the business community, uh, but I never, ever dreamed it was really a business until much, much later. I, I'm a little bit of an un, unusual circumstance, Kate, in that I never gave a paid speech until I was 40 years old. My first paid gig, I was 40. Uh, and, and most successful speakers, um, unless they kind of come to speaking as sort of like their, their um, uh, you know, the frosting on the cake of their career and their retired business executive or something. As you know, most speakers start much, much younger than that. And um, I, I would just, you know, I was running consulting firms and doing my thing and, and, uh, and I was more of a writer than anything else. And when I wrote my first book, uh, the now revolution, we did a book tour and we did like a 30 city book tour. And as part of that book tour, we would give presentations about the key highlights of the book. And, and people kept saying, wow, that was really good. And I was like, was it? And like, you should do that more often. Like, should I? Uh, and, and a good friend of mine, Kelly McDonald, who was a very successful speaker, um, sort of took me under her wing and said, you know, you could 
do this for money? And I was like, can I? Uh, and and that uh, that was like 11 or 12 years ago. And, and fast forward and here we are. It certainly sounds like you were never uh, sort of given the opportunity to be, to be scared of public speaking. Like you said, it was such a young age and just, oh, you're not scared of a microphone, you'll do it. And it just sort of happened naturally. And then speaking professionally was not something that you sought out. It was just, again, something that just sort of happened, right? Yeah, it, it wasn't until much later, even even after I first started to to give speeches for a little bit of of money, which, oh, let's see, that would have been uh, two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. I started to get paid a little bit to give a speech here or there, and and even in those days, I never really thought it was anything other than just a you know kind of nice sidelight, but but after a little bit, I realized that of all the things that I'm involved in, entrepreneurship and writing and et cetera, that was the one I liked the best. And so I, I, I created a five-year program with my company to say, I want to go from uh, a, a consultant who gives a speech now and then to a speaker who owns an incredible consulting firm. And we went through a very you know, detailed program to, to make that happen uh, over a, a period of time. And, uh, and we successfully implemented that plan. And, and so now uh, in, in normal times, I, I spend, uh, you know, probably 50 to 70% of my time on the speaking side of the business and the rest on the consulting side. Yeah, right. So what's the, what's the one big unexpected uh, journey that your career now has taken you on? It sounds like it's, it's changed quite a lot. What's the, the big unexpected thing that's happened? Well, I don't know. It's on one hand, it's all unexpected. On, on the other hand, it all makes perfect sense, at, at least to me. Uh, I, I would say the, the part that, that I still find sort of hard to fathom is, is that, you know, I, I do a lot of presentations. I'm in the speaker hall of fame and all this other kind of stuff, right. That doesn't really matter, but, but I've sort of been able to get to a level in the speaking profession relatively quickly and, and without really wanting to be a speaker until quite a bit later in life. And I still sometimes sort of think, how did, how did that happen? And how incredibly fortunate am I to, to make that happen or for that to have happened to me? Because one thing I've discovered, Thomas, and, and I'm sure you've seen this in your own work and, and here on the podcast is, yeah, speaking's a meritocracy at some level, right? I mean, good speakers tend to succeed yeah. and, 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 and lesser speakers tend to succeed maybe not quite as much. But I got to tell you, there are a lot of speakers who are extraordinary, um, who who have not broken through yet. And so I think like anything else, um, maybe the best example I would use is the speaking business is a lot like the music business. There's a lot of amazing bands out there that are still playing small clubs uh, and, and, and they're working hard at it and they just haven't gotten the break. And I just feel incredibly fortunate that, you know, I'm not the best speaker, uh, but I may be the luckiest. Yeah, that's not the first time that I've heard someone say that. That's um, the comedy scene's quite big here in Australia, and I remember um, one of the you know, more prominent comedians. He was giving an interview, and he said, "I don't work any harder than anyone else. I'm not more talented than anyone else, but I have been luckier than a lot of people." And I really like that acknowledgement that it yeah. does take a little bit of luck. For sure, and I think the other thing I would say is that there's a a significant difference. Between, a, between being a good speaker and being good at the speaking business. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're two very different things. And, and the speaking business is its own sort of microcosm with its own sort of rules, most of them unspoken, uh, and, and its own kind of circumstances and, and rhythms. Uh, and so I know a lot of great speakers who probably could stand to be better at the business. And, and I know a lot of people who are great at the speaking business who are not incredible speakers, but are very successful because they really understand kind of the mechanics of it. And it, it makes a difference for sure. It is a business. And I think a, a lot of people um, treat it a little bit more like a fine arts project, like let me get on stage and, and let my wisdom wash over the crowd. And that's great. But, you know, the, the, the client is not the audience. The client's the meeting planner. And you have to kind of understand the actual dynamics of all of those relationships. And I think some people uh, probably need to brush up on that a little bit. So let's talk about that a little bit. Like, obviously, you need to be somewhat decent at being a, at being a speaker, at being a presenter, to have any sort of success, whatever that success looks like for you, whether it's, you know, presenting well at work, whether it's uh, presenting online now, or even, um, as you say, for like as a keynote from the main stage, why, why do you think the ability to present effectively is so important? Well, without, without the ability to present your ideas or information succinctly, powerfully, and persuasively, what do you have left? <laughs> like, like, yeah. like what, what, what else is there really? Uh, at some point, you're going to be asked to defend your ideas or your position. And there are some people who are manifestly terrible uh, speakers, but they are so exhilarating and so powerful as writers, as, as written communicators, that they can get away with it. But I think if there's anything true, uh, we're, we're seeing that, that great writing stands out. A lot of writing is, is mediocre. Uh, and in the world we live in now, with so much of our communication uh, being audio and video, um, not just in the, in the you know, uh, sort of COVID days, but I think in, in society overall, that the ability to communicate uh, verbally as a presenter, however you want to define that, uh, could not be more important. I, I would argue it's, it's more important now than it perhaps has ever been, uh, at least since the invention of the computer and, and maybe longer than that. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've had a couple of guests on our podcast who have actually recommended or referenced your book, uh, your latest book, which is Talk Triggers. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to a personal brand, what can you tell us about and what is the concept of a talk trigger? I think it's incredibly important for speakers to understand this premise because as I mentioned earlier, the client isn't the audience, the client is the meeting planner. And the meeting planner has seen lots of speakers, uh, lots yeah. and lots and lots of speakers. And, and the truth is meeting planners don't, think very often of Kate and Thomas and Jay, they think of quote unquote speakers and they tend to lump speakers together either in totality or by category. So they think of sales speakers or marketing speakers or mm. motivation speakers or leadership yep. speakers or entertainer speakers. They think of them as, as sort of a bucket of somewhat interoperable um, individuals, right? So we want Jay. If we can't get Jay, we'll get Scott Stratton. If we can't get Scott Stratton, we'll get Andrew Davis. You know, those are the, the two guys that I typically go up against most often. And, and it's true for all speakers in the, in the industry. Meeting planners think of us as sort of interchangeable, uh, which hurts our feelings, but that's a business, right? <laughs> so as, as, a, as a speaker, it is imperative in my estimation to do something to fight against that, to, to, to fight against you being interoperable or, or interchangeable with other people who speak about similar topics. And, and that's where you get the premise of a, of a talk trigger, Kate. And a talk trigger is defined thusly. It is an operational choice that you make that is designed to create conversations 
amongst your customers. And all we're really talking about here is the power of word of mouth, which is inexorably, inarguably, the best way to grow any business. The best way to grow any business is for your customers to grow it for you, period. Mm, yeah. And I think everybody knows that to be true like innately. You're not gonna get a lot of pushback on that idea. Yeah. But Thomas, here's the weird part, right? We all are like, yeah, word of mouth is important. Word of mouth is super important for speakers. In fact, I did a research project earlier this year where we surveyed hundreds of meeting planners and, and word of mouth was by far the number one way they found out about speakers. Yeah. But yet, Fewer than 1% of all businesses, not just speakers, but 1% of all businesses have an actual word of mouth strategy. Mm, yeah. We just take it for granted. We just assume that competency creates conversation. That if you're a good speaker and you execute and you over deliver and the audience loves you and maybe you get a bunch of applause, if you just do that, the meeting planner will notice that and tell other meeting planners about you. But there's a huge fallacy in that. That's what they paid you to do. You yeah. doing the job you've been paid to do is not worthy of a story. It's not a conversation point. If I go in the corner and hit the light switch and it gets dark in here, I'm not going to tell you a story about that because that's how electricity works. <laughs> right? So if you want your customers to tell stories about you and you do, you have to give them a story to tell. And the story is not what a great speech because that's what they expected of you. So you got to do something different. So in my case, it's the plaid suits. We can talk yeah, about that. Yeah. Lots of other um, speakers have, have talk triggers, whether they know to call it that or not is immaterial, but they have made, they have made a strategic choice to do something that stands them out from, from the, the rest of the crowd. My good friend, Dan Thurman, uh, former president of the National Speakers Association, was formerly a juggler before he became a keynote speaker. He always rides a giant unicycle on stage, juggles on stage, also does a handstand on the lectern on stage. Oh. Those things that nobody else can do. I don't even like watching, it makes me nervous. <laughs> uh, you know, that's what people remember. Like that's the guy with the unicycle, right? So you gotta have a thing um, that people can, can tell the story about. Um, so you said that yours, I was going to ask you what yours actually is, but then you said it was the plaid suit. Tell us about that. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, as we are recording this, I am not wearing a plaid suit because we are, uh, of course, under quarantine, although I do have all the suits here. Uh, so for a number of years now, when every time I take the stage, I wear uh, a, a very bright and bold plaid suit. I have 12 of them in an array Whoa. of different colors. Um every color that you can imagine, some that you probably couldn't imagine. Uh, so I have 12 <laughs> plaid suits and, and they're the kind of suits, you know, it, it, it's, it's not comical, right? It's not, um, you know, it, it's a noticeable pattern. It's, it's not, I, I'm not trying to be a caricature, yeah, uh, yeah. but it's definitely a noticeable pattern. And, and that's interesting, but what makes it a talk trigger is that talk triggers have to be experienced. It's not just a bullet point or, or an attribute. And the way I decided to put a twist on it a few years ago goes like this. When meeting planners hire me to give a keynote, a week before the event, they get sent an email with a link to a website. And the website is dressjbear.com. They go to the website, they type in the name of their event, they are presented with a menu of all the suits, and they get to select which suit I wear at their event. And then it automatically goes on my calendar so I know what to pack. 
And then when I get there, the audience already knows what suit I'm going to wear. The meeting planner's all psyched because I'm wearing the suit that they picked out. Sometimes they choose to match their logo. Sometimes they choose to be contrast or whatever the background color is on stage. And now they're part of the act. And it's the story that meeting planners and speakers bureaus tell about me uh, all over the world. Right. So it's almost gimmicky, but not tacky at all. Right. You got to thread the needle. It's yeah. easy to fall into gimmick, um, but it, it's the way I like to think of it is it's a story worth telling because it's a story you don't expect. Uh, and because my talks are about marketing and customer experience, it is relevant to my core topic. Obviously, it wouldn't work if I couldn't give a good speech, but mm, giving yeah. a good speech is what they paid me to do. So again, that's not you know, to, to meet that level, to say for, for your, for your story, for your talk trigger, if you will, to be about your core benefit, like being a good speech, your speech has to be so good that it's almost unbelievable. Mm. Right. Yeah. Think about restaurants. Like it's, it's actually pretty rare that you proactively tell friends stories about restaurants based on food quality. It does happen, but the food quality has to be really, really good mm. for that to be the story. And actually, we've done a bunch of analysis on this with Yelp around the world. And, and most of the five-star reviews for restaurants on Yelp do not mention food at all. It's always about people and service. You expect the food to be good. That's what you paid for. But you don't expect the service to be great. And you don't expect the person to be that kind or funny or warm or frightening or whatever, whatever adjective <laughs> happens in the case. Uh, it's the things that you don't expect create conversations. The things that you do expect yeah. don't create conversations because, again, it's expected. Yeah, absolutely. There was um, a restaurant here in Brisbane that my husband and I went to a few years ago. It was called Alchemy, I think. And their whole big thing was they would cook dessert in front of you and it would they'd have like dry ice or liquid nitrogen, I think it was. And so they'd come over to your table and they'd dip your dessert in this liquid nitrogen. There'd be, you know, steam, smoke going everywhere. Like it was just ice cream. But the whole experience was so cool. Exactly. But yeah, and yeah, I'm sure the, the ice cream. I'm sure thing. the ice cream was good, but yeah. it probably wasn't the best ice cream you ever had. Uh, but it was. Cream, yeah. It was. Yeah, it was the experience that that makes it talkable, totally. not necessarily the thing itself. And and I think all speakers uh, should endeavor to come up with something, uh, something like that. I think what I'm hearing here is I. I assume, Jay, that you're a good speaker, right? I think that's a, a very safe thing to assume here. And probably most people, you know, even if they're listening to this podcast, probably are. But if we're, if we're talking in the sense of that personal brand of, of the talk trigger, then being good enough at being a speaker is not good enough to continue to pick up these opportunities to speak further in advance, again, for whatever level of success you're looking for, right? Yeah, you, you just have to have something that allows you to stand out, Mm. that that isn't the thing that they paid you to do um because they're just they won't talk about that that's what they that that was that was the deal yeah there's a lot to think about there i love it Mm. i think um to me to me it sounds a little bit like we've had we've had philem jones on the podcast as well and i don't think it was in the show but we talked about moving your business into being in inside a market of one you are the option for whatever that solution you provide and really that's this is it feels like one of, if not a really big way to make that happen for you, to move yourself into, we want the unicycle guy. We want the guy who we can pick the suit for. We want. Absolutely. The the best thing you can have in a speaking business is for, is for speakers, bureaus and meeting planners to say, what we need for this event is Jay Bear. Mm. If they say what we need is a really great marketing or customer experience speaker, I have lost. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're up against the likes of 
Scott Stratton. Yeah, or or any number of other people who are yeah. terrific. You know, as I always tell people, because you want to make a distinction, I say Scott's 20% funnier, but I'm 20% smarter. So you guys get to pick which one you want. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what I always tell meeting planners. Uh, so, yeah. you know, it, it's yeah. the same thing. It's the same thing in any product category, right? Like, do you want Kleenex or do you want facial tissue, right? You, you want to be you want to be the brand name uh, uh, if you yeah. can. Yeah, yeah. I would happily talk about this uh, all day because I find this fascinating. But, hey, uh, I, wrote, I, I wrote a whole book about it. No problem. <laughs> go, go buy the book there, uh, Bosses. Yes, we've used the yeah, name. Actually, even, even more so, Bosses, go to talktriggers.com because, yeah, I'd love for you to buy the book. It'd be great. Um, there's an audio book read by me and my co-author, Daniel Lemon, who's also a terrific speaker. Um, but at talktriggers.com, uh, there's tons and tons and tons of free stuff. So you've got oh. infographics, videos, research, summaries, discussion guides, um, all kinds of stuff. So if you want more about this sort of word of mouth strategy process, and it really is a process, it's not just like get in a conference room with beer and pizza and figure it out. There's a real methodology to doing this real well. Um, go to talkfigures.com, grab all the free stuff. And if you want to buy the book, fantastic. I want to tell you a quick story about that though, Thomas. Yeah, yeah. So it would be, it would be, it would be hypocritical of my co-author and I to write a book about differentiation and word of mouth and not have a talk trigger for the book talk triggers, right? That would be weird. Mm-hmm. Yep, but yep. We actually have two. Uh, first, the book itself is, is hot pink on the cover and has alpacas on the cover, which you don't typically see uh, in, a, in a business book. So it's visually distinct for sure. But the real talk trigger is this. On the back of the book, it says in big letters, if you are not 100% satisfied with this book, send an email to the authors and they will buy you any other book of your choosing. And that is true. If you don't like the book, I will buy you any book in the world that you want. So far, we have sold tens of thousands of books. Uh, Not as many as my friend Phil M. Jones, but a lot of books. And we have had two redemptions on that offer. So a guy guy emails me and says, Jay, uh, I didn't like the book. And I was like, all right. How come? He's like, there, there weren't enough case studies. And I thought, well, geez, there's like 32 case studies in the book. But <laughs> okay, I Can't felt like we had all? sufficient. Yeah, I felt like we had sufficient evidence. Um, and then he wanted uh, like an out of print book on COBOL programming or some damn thing. And I was like, geez, that feels a little cheeky. But I'm like, all right, we made the offer. No problem. Bought him the book. A month later, I get a second email, different guy. Jay, I didn't like the book. Oh, that's too bad. How come? Too many case studies. I knew that was coming. <laughs> and I was like, you need to talk to this other guy and you guys need to get your story straight. Uh, so I, I uh, had to buy that guy a book as well. Oh, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, you never know. There you go. All right. Well, um, we'll certainly put links to um, to everything that you've mentioned there. We're happy to, uh, <laughs> happy sure, to have yeah. you go and check out Jay's content. I've been through Thanks. the website a little bit and yeah, it's certainly some cool stuff. But we're going we're gonna to pivot very slightly because uh, Kate and I are both avid listeners of your latest podcast, which is Standing Ovation. And I think Thanks. You, like to, um, you like to describe it as it's speakers telling the story about their stories, right? So yeah. let's, let's kick this off. What have you learned about stories making that podcast? And you, you're what, 20 episodes in now or so? 20 episodes, yeah, yeah. Standing Ovation. And, and just so folks who maybe don't listen understand the way the show works, it's a little bit of a different podcast because mm. I have a guest every week who's a professional speaker. And we start off the program by listening to, usually it's a five to six minute um, story, their signature story that that speaker tends to tell on stage in, in most or all of their keynotes. So we listen to it live on the, on the show together. And then we deconstruct that story in the episode and, and talk about how it's been written or how it was found or how it's been changed or improved over over time, etc. Um, and what's interesting about it is, is 
speakers never talk about that, right? They're not not mm-hmm. publicly. They they yeah. everybody's got a signature story, or not everybody. Most speakers have some sort of a signature story, and and they just a lot of times they haven't really given it that much thought. But the 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 biggest um, takeout that I have from from the the show so far is how often the signature story itself is not that remarkable as a story, right? Like the threshold to be a signature story doesn't have to be, and then I survived the plane crash, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be that, that, you know, wow, that is crazy. And there's, and there's Crocs and, you know, it's like that, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. So, so many times it's just a, it's a little thing um, or a medium thing that happened in your life that, that these great, incredibly talented and, and very hardworking speakers have been able to craft into a story and a message that resonates deeply with their audience. And the big thing that really shook me up, and it's had a huge impact on my work already, is I was setting, a, a, in my estimation now, a, a bar for stories to be in my, in my program that was too high. Right. It's yeah. like, this has got to be, this has got to be a story that no one can ever imagine being true for mm. it, for it to be something that I tell on stage. And I realized that I had it all wrong, that I've got thousands of stories that, that could be told on stage. I just have to get out of my own way. Uh, and it's been really, really helpful in my own business, actually. That is right. the exact takeaway that I've had from your podcast as well, is that none of these stories are that different from like my life. You know, um, Amy talked about her friend's wedding and mm-hmm. well, Nene um, James talked about her neighbor's kid, right? Vin talked about quitting university, like they're yeah. not different to the everyday experience, and I think that's what makes them so connectable and so that's it effective. Yep, and I and I for the longest time have I, I've been missing the mark on it, right? It was like mm. I have for, for reasons both I guess purposeful and accidental, I, I have lived a a, a colorful life in that I have accumulated, and I'm not kidding, dozens, maybe hundreds, maybe more than that of, of stories at that level of, of crazy, right? Maybe more so. Yeah. <laughs> um, like one of the new stories I'm talking about in a brand new speech I just rolled out last week or two weeks ago um, is about a time I had to fly from Phoenix to Boston um, and a lady was holding a dog on the plane, let the dog out of the carrying case, which is not really recommended, obviously. Uh, and the dog got out of her grasp, was running up and down the aisle of the plane, <laughs> but was unfortunately pooping in the aisles oh, on like a no. five and a half hour flight, right? So like, I was like, ah, you know, that's not really a, you know, a story. And now I'm like, oh, that's an amazing story. And I'm totally talking that, about that in the keynote, you know? And so now, like a comedians, comedians are so good about that, right? They, they find things that are really innocuous in their day-to-day life and they build a whole segment of their talk around it. Mm. And, and that's what Send Innovation has really done for me. I'm like, oh, I can do that exact same thing. Mm. I've got so much material now that I see it as material. Yes. Yeah. I think um, you're talking a lot of sense when I compare you to a previous guest we had, and maybe we should connect you with, with Matthew Dix. Totally thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> so his whole thing is every day you have a story and to write those down and, you know, he tells um, competitive storytelling for the moth and that sort of thing, but it's always the small moments are the best moments to talk about. I guess uh, yeah. I'm trying I to love that idea of like, of like what is today's story? Right. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, it's not, a, it probably shouldn't be a surprise that I'm good at Instagram. I'm shit at Instagram stories. 
<laughs> because I always feel like, I always feel like, oh, well, this isn't a story. But now I'm like, oh, wait, it is a story. I just need to tell it, right? I need to like allow myself to tell the story. Uh, and, and I love that idea of Matthews of, and I'm going to start doing that and just like, okay, what's the, what's the, what's the story of today that's worthy of telling again? Uh, and, and I guess maybe my thought before I started doing the podcast was, well, if it's not good enough for a TEDx talk, it shouldn't be in my keynote, which is stupid. And so I'm really glad that um, I've gotten to figure it out, hopefully. So I'm, I'm trying to connect two dots here, which is in standing ovation, you talk about signature stories, which was a new, it was a new idea to me even, which is somebody is a bit known for that, that one story. Like um, there was the, I forget who it was, but whenever they do a talk, they're always asked to tell the taxi Terry story. That's part yeah, of it. Scott voice. McCain. Yeah. Scott McCain. That's right. That's part of what they do. And so I, I feel like almost well, to contrast, there's probably plenty of speakers who tell some stories or don't tell stories, but it's always different. So I'm thinking like, there's a connection here, isn't there, between having a signature story and that being part of your talk trigger, right? Uh, great question. Uh, can be, can be. And sometimes the signature story, I guess, could be your talk trigger in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, I, but I will say this, one of the things that, that maybe doesn't come through on air as much as it could or should is that, is that most speakers don't have a signature story. Yeah. Right. They have signature stories. They have a, they have a small collection of curated stories that they tend to tell every time or most of the time for production reasons, we've got to pick one for the show. And so we kind of focus on, on that, which probably makes it seem like a singularity more than it actually is in the real world. Um, And, and I do the same thing. I, I have a handful of stories that I tend to tell in, in most of my talks, but because my books are so well researched and I have so many case studies and I do so much work as a consultant, you know, I, I have just in the, in the talk triggers keynote, a database of 38, I think stories that I can insert in different parts of the talk based on the group that I'm addressing and, and, and kind of what they need, um, which is more than most people have, but it's, I think it's because of my, my background as a, as a consultant. And so some of those stories, even though there's 38 of them have, have gotten good enough audience reaction um, that, that I almost never take them out. And then there's other ones that I swap in and out all the time. Right. So it's sort of like, you know, some of your children are your favorite and, and others um, aren't, even though you wouldn't admit that publicly. <laughs> I think um, there's one more thing that I've, I've learned from sending ovation before we sort of move on here, which is it's really easy to look at a, at a polished speaker and you hear their story and even their whole talk just like oh wow that's just a masterpiece and you have it can sometimes be really hard to reverse engineer and think about like how did they get there because there's obviously a process gets to uh, to getting to a well-crafted well-delivered polished story I think listening to uh, listening to a standing ovation we're starting to hear that people kind of fill into those stories or they've spent many, 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 many iterations refining that story. I think that's been, again, another learning for me from that, which is a talk or a story doesn't just fall into your lap one day. Definitely not. And even more to the point, I, I knew this already because I've been fortunate enough to, to build relationships with a lot of speakers and I'm in a lot of speaker mastermind groups and all that jazz, but it is something that most people don't really understand is how much time and money most speakers spend on coaching, regardless of how far along they are in the profession. Um, there, there are very, 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 very few speakers, no matter where they are in the business, who do not spend money every year 
on, on coaching, even if they've been in the business for 40 years. Uh, it is, it is not the kind of thing where you're like, well, I'm as good as I'm ever going to get. Uh, I like to say that, that being a speaker is like, is like playing golf. Um, you know, you can be really good at golf and you're never going to be the best at golf. So you can always get better. And I think the best speakers understand that. And they're constantly seeking advice from, from different coaches to get a different perspective on, well, how could I do that line differently? Or how could I make that story 30 seconds shorter, but just as impactful? And, and it gets down to that level, right? Where it gets down mm-hmm. to the line level. It's not big chunky stories. It's how can I make this one line funnier, which again, is how not all, but a number of comedians work. Some comedians are much looser and kind of like, you know, I'm going to say whatever I say when I get up there, but, but others are very studied, you know, and, and we're going to put the subcolon here or the semicolon here because it's funnier that way, et cetera. Yeah, yeah for sure. Mm-hmm. So that um, brings me to my next question of what do you believe is more important, content or delivery? I'll answer it this way. Um, the first time an audience or a meeting planner sees you, delivery the second through the infinity time content. That's, really? oh, I like okay. that answer. I really like that. That's a bit more nuanced than, um, everybody oh. can be a popular speaker once. Um, yep. it's very difficult to be a popular speaker the second time around, unless you actually have content that makes a difference to people. It's just the way it works. And, and the research we did this year on from about meeting planners proved that, that, that mm. in that, in that survey, uh, it is, it is, unequivocal that that meeting planners put a much more emphasis on content than they do on delivery yeah of course i, w- I want to to think about that a little bit more because it sounds like you can have somebody like you said once come out and deliver something that's uh i guess you know highly entertaining or highly different in some way but ongoing you do need to provide value don't you, you need to pr- need to share the content that is of value to the audience I, I, <laughs> i've never thought of it that way and it makes a lot of sense Mm. Well, unless you're just here for straight entertainment and there are speakers who that yeah. really is their role, right? Yeah. They're, they're not, they're not, they're not trying to um, change behavior. They're just trying to make people laugh and that's, that's fine. But I think of that as a slightly different business. Uh, I'll, I'll, let me, let me say it this way. My, my good friend, Rory Vaden, who's an extraordinary speaker, um, also in the hall of fame says that a speech is nothing but an advertisement for what's possible. Mm. And I think that's a great way to think about the importance of content and what you're really there to do. A lot of speakers think their job is to, is to do the, to, to really make the audience um, in, enjoy 60 minutes. And, and I don't believe that's the job at all. I believe the 60 minutes is an introduction to a change in thinking or behavior that's going to impact that audience for six months, 12 months, five years, forever. Um, that's really what you're there to do. Mm. Yeah, we've we've heard from guests before that uh, your, your true impact happens long after the applause has happened, mm. which is what makes it a hard business because sometimes, maybe often actually, you don't you don't see that impact, right? It's you know the 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 immediate impact insofar as there there is some in in applause or laughs or comments after the talk in the hallway you know you get that you get that instant feedback loop but it's sometimes what happened to that audience 6 12 24 36 months down the road sometimes that's that's opaque to the speaker and that can be a little bit hard which is why i think what most speakers will tell you they they love doing repeat gigs right they they love yeah. doing an event or an association or a company and then coming back a year later or two years later and seeing that, oh, the things I told these people, they're actually doing. 
yeah. and it's helping making their life better or their business better or their whatever better, uh, man, that, that's the greatest feeling in the world for me. Again, mm. I come at it a little differently because I was a consultant long before I was a speaker. And so I, I look at the business of speaking through that prism. What I like to tell people is that what I really do is real-time consulting with a microphone. I mean, that's really what what you yeah. get with, with me is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna solve your problems in 60 minutes while holding a microphone. It's consulting on stage. Uh, and, and that's kind of how I think about it and how I go about it. Yeah, Real time like consulting it. with a microphone. Yeah. 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 I think, um, I think it was Phil M. Jones again, who said to us, don't come and tell me my speech was great. Email me three months later and tell me how you've used it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and one tip yeah. that I got a couple of years ago and I, and I, and I I, I want to credit who told it to me, but I cannot remember who it was. I apologize. If you're listening, please uh, email me and correct me. But they said, um, the best question to ask when somebody comes up to you and says, I loved your speech, what you should always say, and I do this all the time now, and it's been so useful is that is so great to hear. Which part did you like the best? Yeah. Okay. Because, because hearing that your speech is great doesn't really help you as a speaker, but mm. whatever they say next, whatever thing they say is the one that really had an impact on them, right? And that's material, that, that's information you can use. Yeah. As, yeah. A, as, a, as a marketing speaker, one of the things that uh, I, I am really bummed about is that back in the day, um, people would, would live tweet speeches all the time, right? That was a very common thing, especially yeah. in my world, marketing conferences and stuff. And so I, I would do a, a keynote presentation and there would be, 400, 500, 600 tweets um, back when people would live tweet everything. And all you got to do is look at that list and you see which stories landed, which lines landed, which slides landed, which graphics landed. Like it was like real time focus group, every single speech. And you don't get that kind of feedback anymore. And I think it's, it, it's detrimental. So if somebody says, I love your speech. Great. What did you like the best? Yeah. All right, so Jay, a question that we ask all of our guests before we start to wrap up, what is a book or resource that's really impacted upon the way that you speak? Hmm, a book or resource that's impacted the way that I... And you're not allowed to say your own podcast. That's the only rule. I would never say that. (laughs) I would never say that. Um, Probably, this is not going to make any sense, but my favorite author is Bill Bryson. Yep. who is formerly a travel, formerly a travel writer and then expanded into uh, other kinds of, of work. His writing style is remarkable to me. His, his word choice, his sentence structure, his cadence. Uh, and I have tried to model my own writing um, very unsuccessfully uh, after his. And one of the things that, that people have said about my work as a speaker long before I got paid to speak is that when you hear me speak, it sounds exactly like if you read something that I wrote and vice versa, that, that my quote unquote voice, and I don't mean vocally, but I mean the tone of voice, if you know what I mean, uh, that my voice is the same on the page or on the stage. And, and some of that I I certainly owe to, to Bill Bryson and and my uh, great love for his work. Oh, I like that. He was, was that short history of everything? Yes. That's one of his books. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So then Jay, we've heard about talktriggers.com. Where else can people find you? 
Uh, my main website is jaybear.com, J-A-Y-B-A-E-R.com. Uh, for folks who are more interested in marketing and customer experience, our main website is convinceandconvert.com. And there you'll find more than 3,000 articles about marketing and customer experience, including for speakers. Uh, and my what I consider to be my main podcast, which is called Social Pros, uh, which is the biggest podcast in the world for large company uh, social media managers. We're at episode 450 now, something like that, uh, wow. weekly since uh, 2012. Brilliant. And Excellent. don't forget about dressjbear.com as well. Dressjbear.com. Yeah, you can go there. Um, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll get the emails if you want to play with it. Please feel free. Uh, so I'll know that uh, people are listening to the, uh, I know the bosses will be going to dressjbear.com <laughs> and, uh, and playing yeah. with the tool. That'll be fun. Go for it. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jay, for both being on our podcast and naming our audience. I look forward to that being a thing carrying on. <laughs> uh, you named it. You named it. I just, uh, and, and all the credit goes to Pat. And you should get Pat on the show. He's, uh, he's extraordinary. Oh, I would love Pat on the show. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jay, for hanging out with us and uh, stay safe out there. See you, bosses. Thanks for listening to today's show. Head to presentationboss.com.au slash podcast where you'll find the show notes for this episode, all other episodes and other free resources. If you know someone that you'd like to hear from on this show or think that you have something of value to share, email us at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. Most importantly, We rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend. Or we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes. It helps more people find us. Have a great week. No worries. Have you had Michael on the show? We've got him booked in, which I'm like so excited about. (laughs) That's great.